you are fairly competitive, I would say. Uh, <laughs> guilty as charged. Uh, yes, I am. Just a titch. I didn't know that about myself when I was younger. It was yeah, it just. Is this just I something didn't... you've discovered recently? No, no, no. I discovered it once I started wrestling. Once you started becoming more competitive, you discovered you were competitive. Right, right. Correct. Yeah. You also like butts. It's true. I do. Unfortunately, you don't like to travel, and and I don't think you're going to be traveling anytime soon. You did go to England about a, a little over a year ago, but I, I don't think you're going to be going that far from your house for quite a while. I don't know if you've looked out your window lately and noticed this whole global pandemic thing happening, uh, right? I just came back from England, and the next week, everything went into lockdown. And I've been at my house since. Yes. And it's unfortunate because I have an event that maybe you would be interested in. I don't know if they've held it for the last couple of years. The last record I could find of it was from 2018. But maybe at some point, if you ever decide to go back to England and you happen to be there in November, because I know you love visiting <laughs> England in the coldest months of the year. Uh, January is the coldest month of the year, and I went in February, and it was so cold. Uh, so there's a competitive butt competition in England? If you happen to go back, you find yourself in Wedmore in Somerset. The new inn has the World Penny Chuffin Tournament. This is where I ask exactly what penny chuffing is, because I don't know. I'm so glad you asked what penny chuffing is the competition is you take three 2p coins which is two pence coins so you take three of them you squeeze them between your buttocks let me say that again buttocks like forrest gump and then you walk waddle or hop across the pub for about four yards and then attempt to drop the two pence coins into a pint which is on the floor now you it, from the descriptions i've read about it you do have uh bottom hugging clothes to preserve your modesty so i don't know if you wrap something around yourself because you you can't really clench coins in your butt cheeks if they're shod uh so you probably would need to be open on the bottom to clench the large coins in your butt, walk across the bar in some way, and then drop them in a tankard on the floor. Okay, that sounds unsanitary, one. Uh, two, are we talking like skirts, mumus, dresses? So you like raw dog the coin, and then you clench it, and then mm -hmm. you waddle, and then you drop, and are there points deducted if you don't get it in the target like what's the well, you don't you don't get any points you have to go back to the other side put the coins back in your butt cheeks and then go back across to see i, I don't oh. i have i was trying to find more information on it i don't know how many tries you get but you get a point for each coin that you drop in also, just so you know, this is for charity. It's, it costs only 50 pence to enter, but the proceeds or, or some of the descriptions of it say that it is, uh, yeah, 50 pence per go. So I think you have to pay 50 pence each time you, you, attempt. you waddle across the bar with the coins in your butt to drop them 
uh, then okay. the money will go to uh, children in need. Okay. Uh, that's very noble. It's for a good cause. Right, right. Obviously. Sure, and it's also good fun for the people watching. I'm sure that the new inn gets crowded when people attempt this. I didn't realize. I mean, I should have realized that this would be a thing. Competitive butt squeezing with things. I, I looked around more online and there is a drinking game called Butt Quarters, which is similar to this where you have two teams and they stand in a line. But but in this one, you only have to squeeze a quarter between your butt cheeks and there's uh, two pints at the end of the line. So each team takes turns going down and trying to drop their quarter in this pint. But the uh, pints are full of beer and whatever team gets the most quarters in their pint of beer wins. And then the losing team has to drink the beer that oh, has had the butt quarters dropped no. in it. Oh, no. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, that. Oh, so that's a step up in the competition. You really want to bring your A game for that. One yeah, 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 yeah. Or you drink the butt the, juice. You drink the butt quarter beer. I mean, because the, the quarters themselves are going to be filthy enough already unless you sanitize right. the quarters because the money is just dirty. Right. We I don't know that they're like sanitizing their sphincter, sanitizing the coins. There's probably not a lot of Lysol happening. That I mean, I know that alcohol kills off, but I would not want to. Ooh, that's I'm I'm having a pucker. I'm 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 involuntarily puckering because I'm getting such strong, uh, disturbing visuals. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with my brain meat. You're I will tr treasure that forever. I was and by thinking... treasure, I mean terrified. Well, I was thinking the next time you know we feel comfortable getting a group of people together once the pandemic clears, if everybody's vaccinated, <laughs> if we get a large group of people together, we should try playing a round of butt quarters. Right. Yeah. Next week. All right. uh, I'm becoming one with my house. I have accepted that these walls are my life. I have the internet and I get to record this with you once a week. I am a rock star. Oh uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm not sure when is the next time I'm going to be hanging out with a bunch of people in a large room, gathering coinage in my butt box. Yeah, yeah. Has it ever happened before, or would this be a first? It would be a first. You know what this reminds me of is ass pennies. Uh, of course, obviously, this just reminds me of ass pennies. Uh, uh, I, I'm um, I can't say yes because I don't know what ass pennies are, but I feel that you might take a chance to enlighten both me and our listeners. What are ass pennies? Obviously, there's pennies and a butt is involved. It's, it's, it's I got that far. It's self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. It's self-evident. How do the pennies and the butt combine? Hopefully, some of our listeners are hip to what ass pennies are. If not, I encourage you to go look up Upright Citizens Brigade ass pennies. And watch the skit. It's a self-empowerment technique. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, just leave you with that. Go look for uh, Upright Citizens Brigade ass pennies. Moving on. Last week, you had a lot to say about sperm. Yes. It might surprise you that some of the topics I have today are also about sperm. I'm not obsessed with sperm. I just seem to encounter it freak. Okay, wait. You're not obsessed yes. with sperm. You just happen to talk about it a lot. 
Right, right, right. Uh, okay, yes, I did talk about sperm last week, and I'm going to talk about sperm again this week. Yes, correct. Go on. Well, last week, for those of you who did not join us on Patreon last week, you were talking about how sperm move in more of a corkscrew fashion than we learned. Their yes, tails. right, right. We 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 learned a lot of things about uh, the mechanics and mobility of sperm. We were wrong. Uh, we now have a much better idea of how it moves, and this will help us with our skyrocketing fertility problems. Hopefully, one thing that could help us with the fertility issue. Scientists, them being the wacky scientists that they are. Oh, scientists are quite wacky, yes. They have found the ability to freeze-dry sperm and mail it on a postcard. Uh, I mean, sure, I'm sure this is not the first time <laughs> sperm has dried on a postcard and gone through the mail i'm not saying that this is this is a first actually i was going to talk about another instance of this in just a little bit something i don't think we've mentioned on this podcast before but this sperm was viable they were able to freeze dry it and seal it between a couple layers of plastic and then mail it on this postcard and then when it was received on the other end, they could take the genetic material from the sperm and create an embryo. This was mouse sperm that they did it with. But the sperm actually was able to survive, or I should say the genetic material in the sperm survived for three days while going through the mail. So they mailed the sperm to themselves. They got the sperm in the mail. They took the material and then they created a fertilized egg. So they ended up with a very well-traveled mouse. Yes. I know for a fact that sperm has both accidentally and I've met humans, you sick fucks, deliberately been sent via postcard before. But I, this is probably the first case of a mouse baby being made as a result. Yeah. Well, it's exciting because usually if you are sending genetic material through the mail... It needs to be refrigerated, usually with liquid nitrogen, and there might be some sort of electrical refrigeration involved, which is an issue just in case the liquid nitrogen leaks or you have a power failure and then your samples are spoiled. But if they can freeze dry them and mail them out, then this means you don't have to deal with the extra hassle of transferring this genetic material in this other way. What they are also talking about is if we can find a way to freeze dry this genetic material and save it for a long period of time, they can create almost like a album of different animals or even human beings. One of the things they were describing it was they were talking about it akin to baseball cards. So you could have a whole portfolio of different animals with their genetic material on the card and flip through it if you needed to save a species, let's say that was oh, dying off. Okay. Be like, well, let's okay. freeze dry some of their sperm and okay. we can keep it just in case we needed to try and bring it back at some point. Or instead of going to a sperm bank, you can send off, get some cards in the mail of the, the sperm that you've chosen and you just get a little postcard in the mail and be like, oh, well, here's my sperm. It's come. And then you can figure out some new method of. <laughs> How do you extract it out of the card and hydrate it and replump it? And then what, you turkey baster it in? I'm sure they will figure it out at some point. So you just right. it's just like mail order sperm at that point. 
but it's right, right. very, very exciting because now we can intentionally send sperm through the mail and have it be viable on the other end. Sperm is in such short supply. It's such a rare commodity. It's very thoughtful of them to take those scientific steps to ensure that we don't run out of the sperm. It is. What I was uh, alluding to before, I know that there was another time when sperm was intentionally sent through the mail. Do you know what I am referencing? That obsessive person that wanked off on a postcard and then let it dry and popped it in the mailbox and sent it to their object of desire? Uh, no. I'm talking about World War I spies who oh, found oh, wrote, that they- wrote. Yeah, yeah. They found that the they could use their sperm as invisible ink. Ink. Okay. Yeah, yes. All right. That's way more wholesome than um, the stalkers I had wanking over postcards and sending them to people that they desired. I was not thinking of the invisible ink that comes out of your testicles. Yes. So they were intentionally sending their sperm through the mail. One of the funnier things about it, the man that developed this technique, do you remember what his name was? Alfred Wankalot? <laughs> it's close. It was uh, Mansfield Cumming. No. Yes. No, I refuse. Okay, we are living in a comic book. Okay. That's... <laughs> yes, Sir, Man... Manfield... For Sir Mansfield Cumming was the one that developed this technique. He was also quoted as saying, every man has his own stylo. <laughs> so I said, oh! any, any, any operative in the field can no. now send a message back to home no. in the visible ink because he has no. the material no. he needs on him. He doesn't need to carry anything else. Oh, naturally equipped. Oh, oh, of course he said that. God, okay, that this is proof to me if I ever needed any further proof. Like... The simulation is broken. I mean, this is serious comic book times. Of course, yes. So you have a stylo in your pants at all times. Oh, and yeah. you are ready to write invisible messages just in case World War Three breaks out and you'll be part of the resistance. Well, and you will... they stopped using this method during World War One. What they found was sometimes the letter would be a little odorific when it no. arrived on the other end. You'd have to fumigate it out. Yeah. What? Well, the reason why is because they determined you needed to use fresh material when you mm -hmm. were sending the message because mm -hmm. of course some, it needed to be fresh. some operatives were collecting it and saving oh. it so that they could use it later when you needed to write a message. But then it would be fairly rank <laughs> once it re was received by MI six. And so they started telling everybody, hey, if you're going to send Fresh a message, yeah, yeah, you have to. So you have to get the knowledge from the enemy, collect right. the intelligence, and then right. find a private area where then you can write your letter after a quick wink. Right after creating your ink, then you write the letter. Yes, yeah. because nothing. Yeah, that's okay. Um <laughs> It, I am in no way surprised that a man was like, what can I do with my cum? Oh, look, it makes invisible ink. Like, of course, of course. It's it's huge when you're in the field. Yeah, and yeah. You, you know, you don't have lemon or whatever else they were using. It's just like, I right, just right. shoot some in a cup and then write out my message. Right. It works for me. Of course, I kept looking at sperm, well, I, I didn't keep looking mm -hmm. at sperm. 
Right. But what I did closely find... Closely examining it. Closely examining sperm. So what I did find is the first man who started looking at sperm. Do you know when sperm was discovered? It was discovered in... Hold on. I got this. Okay. Um, I'm going to say like 400 BCE by Sir Alfred Wanksalot. <laughs> yes, Sir Alfred Wanksalot is huge in the history of ejaculation. 400 BCE? Well, I was trying to, well, when obviously they had. By the time mankind discovered domestication, that was when they knew how sperm worked. Well, so mankind well, they didn't, knew. They actually, they didn't know. They didn't know about the sperm. I mean, they knew about semen, which would come out. And, okay. Uh, but sperm themselves weren't observed until 1677. Oh, okay. I was going for when animals started being domesticated and they're like when a male puts the baby batter in the female and then she makes babies. So they were obviously figuring whatever came out of the animal's dick was what caused more babies. I thought was that was when they first yeah, or it was started just, getting an idea. It was the male spirit that was proving to be stronger than the female spirit and then impregnating her somewhere. They, they had all sorts of different myths around what was happening. But we didn't know what was in the seminal fluid until 1677 when this guy, Antony Van Leeuwenhoek, it was Are Dutch. you sure you don't mean Sir Alfred comes a lot? It wasn't Sir Alfred comes a lot. It was okay. Van Leeuwenhoek. Okay. He collected some. He was studying with microscopes. He was able to make really high-powered compound microscopes. And the Royal Society of London had requested that he look at different bodily fluids to determine what was going on there. He started off by looking at blood and spit and mucus to see what was going on. So he saw you know, the cells in the blood and everything. And then there's like, hey, why don't you take a look at semen and see what's going on there? Because nobody knew what the makeup of the semen was. But he needed to make sure that he collected the semen in the right way. Because there was a uh, big taboo on collecting it solo, if you know what I mean. Uh, right, right. Because God will judge you yes. for wasting the seed. Yes. So you couldn't get a solo wank, even though that would be the cleanest catch. It, it would be. But in his notes, he made sure. Here's a quote from him. What I am observing, once he looked at the sample... What I am observing is just what nature, not by sinfully defying myself, but as a natural consequence of conjugal coitus, delivered. So what he had to do is, in the name of science, he had sex with his wife. So right away after ejaculating in his wife, he jumped up and as he says, before six beats of the pulse had passed... He jumped up, he got his slide, he took a pin and collected some of his seed that was backflowing out of his wife and put it on a slide and then ran outside in the sunlight because they didn't have artificial light at that point. So the sunlight was the strongest source of light he had and then looked at it and he was surprised by what he found. He, he described like little animals in it because nobody had seen semen before. Nobody had seen any other cells like this before. So of course he's just seeing all these little semen and they're wiggling around and he like described them as kind of like eel-like. 
in that way. And this is the first time anybody had seen this. He did it in private and kind of like secrecy. He didn't really want many people to know about this, even though the Royal Society of London had requested that he kind of look at this stuff. So when he submitted his report, he was very private about it. He said, if your lordship should consider that these observations may disgust or scandalize the learned, I earnestly beg your lordship to regard them as private and to publish or destroy them as your lordship sees fit. So just because the whole topic of what he was talking about was still very sinful and taboo. But thankfully, I don't know how he's going to approach his wife and be like, hey, honey. All right. I have a babe. All right. It's very bright outside. It's the middle of the day. The sun is right above us. Can you just and I've got my microscope. OK, so can you just lay there and yeah, spread exactly. for science? For uh, science. We're, we're just going to do this real quick. The British are asking me to do this. We're doing this for the British. Just lay there. I'll drop a load. Of England. I'm going to scrape some out real quick and then run outside. I, mean, I don't know if he had time to put his pants back on. Was he waddling? Like, was he just Donald ducking it? And she's just lying there. That's great, honey. Science. Science, okay. honey. This is for uh -huh. the science. Anyways, that is the story of how the first sperm was seen. Speaking of sperm, mm -hmm. I, I know that I brought a lot of sperm to the table last week. <laughs> you, and you brought so much cum. And I wanted to keep up with my grand tradition and speak a little bit about sperm in specific. Are you aware of the fact that we are creating a whole bunch of missing females? Uh, yeah, well, I know certain societies, it's been an issue in China because of their one-child policy they had for a long time. So they were choosing male children. And unfortunately, there was some very sad stories of women, female babies that were born and were immediately killed. And mm. they have a huge disparity between sexes there. And there's a lot of men there that will never be able to take a wife because there's just simply not enough women to go around. Right. And it is getting worse. We started having the capability of doing scans of fetuses in the 1970s. And the second that technology became available, people immediately started selecting for the gender. And by far and away, the bulk of this is happening in China and India. And we already know, okay, yeah, there are missing female babies. Previous research has estimated that there were 45 million missing female births between 1970 and 2017 as a result of prenatal sex selection. And more than 95% of these missing births were in China and India. Scientists are now predicting that in 12 countries known to have skewed sex ratios, there's going to be an additional 4.7 million missing females by 2030. The implications of that is, yeah, we are no, we do know that there are men in countries like that where they are never going to get a wife. The worst case scenario that they are predicting is that fewer than expected females in a population can result in elevated levels of antisocial behavior and violence and may ultimately affect long-term stability and societal sustainable development. 
which is really the bill coming due when you're like, okay, we live in a culture where we got to have a son. That's the most important thing in the world. And you don't think about the implications that in 50, 60, 70 years, your society, your culture that you cherish and treasure can be severely destabilized by the fact that you have so many, such a gender imbalance, so many excess men, men that are never going to get married, men that are never going to be able to reproduce. The desire to have male children can actually tear a society apart internally. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it'll keep getting worse once we have the ability to create designer babies, once people can choose you know, just the different traits that they can have. And of course, they're obviously going to be able to choose whatever the sex of the kid's going to be. Right. And then you start getting into the the ethical and moral implications of finding out ahead of time that the fetus you're carrying might have some sort of genetic defect. Uh, they do let people know, and some people choose to carry to term, and there's a lot of guilt over the people that find out ahead of time in utero that there is a condition that their kid has, and they choose not to carry the fetus to term. Yeah, that's uh, that's very grim. Um, let's move on. <laughs> you have something less grim. Uh, or is yes, it just going to keep getting more grim? No, master. Do you have you ever ended up in the hospital for two weeks for masturbating? I haven't. Not that I can remember. No. You would probably remember if you spent half a month in the hospital from masturbation. Mm. Yes. A 51-year-old man in Japan was masturbating, and he got an excruciating headache, and he started vomiting, and he couldn't place what it is. And by the time he actually went to the hospital because of how bad the pain was, the doctors diagnosed him with a brain hemorrhage. He almost died. He was in the hospital for half a month. And as it turns out, while he was masturbating, uh, his pleasure stroke turned into pain. He experienced a brain aneurysm, came down with severe headaches, and started vomiting. The discouraging thing for those who like to have a good wank is that 14% of ruptured aneurysm patients had a blood vessel near their brain explode after sex or self-pleasure. I heard about this before. I think I referenced it in the masturbation podcast. Yeah, I did. Uh, there was a book that this guy wrote. He got a whole book out of it that he almost died from orgasming and having a brain aneurysm. Was it a 51-year-old man from Japan? Because this looks like a relatively new article. No, this was a number of years back. I don't remember the guy. But he I mean, he got a decent book and did some lectures and things about... about he, he was uh, at his brother's wedding, I think. He was jerking off before the, the wedding practice. Uh, he didn't show up. But he was in his hotel room and figured he'd just stroke one out real quick, but wound up having a brain aneurysm and went to the hospital. And this it's it's quite common, but it's just like any physical exertion. If you're about to have an aneurysm, mm, like anything that's okay. going to up your yeah. heart rate or your blood pressure can cause that. It's Aneurysms are scary because you never know. And right. that that added layer to the masturbation is this listening. the one that's going to put yeah. me in the everyone, hospital? Everyone listening, you just be like, you might start touching yourself at night and be like, oh, maybe I'll just porn, you know, watch up some porn on the internet. But this could be uh -huh. the one that puts you over the edge. <laughs> so right. be careful edging yourself because you don't know <laughs> where that final your... one could land you. Your brain to stroke out. Mm -hmm. Um. Right. Okay. Well, I, it, it got grimmer, actually. Okay. Right. Let me, okay. Let me write the course here. I'm going to turn the ship around. Okay. 
Scientists, uh-huh. you know those wacky scientists. We have covered many things that scientists have done, including getting lobster stone, watching mice fuck a whole bunch, yeah. counting rat boners too. We've talked counting about rat the people boners, that have very, to count yeah. rat boners. Is that a is that a boner or is that just like a, a fluffy rat who's got like a lot of extra mm-hmm. waistline happening? No, 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 that's a rat boner, like for sure. It's a good thing I spent eight years in college preparing for this. <laughs> One rat boner, two rat boners. Scientists for science. Those decided... wacky scientists. <laughs> they decided for science to starve horny fruit flies and see what was the tipping point at which fruit flies would choose food over banging. Why we need to know this, it's, but science has determined we do. Well, obviously we don't know, we don't know enough about horny fruit flies. There's There's a gap in our knowledge that needs to be filled. Filled thoroughly, packed, we need to pack that gap with knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. Fruit flies live on average 40 to 50 days. Okay. And they wanted to find the cusp at what point survival, be- self-survival becomes more important than propagating on the species. And they have established that after you starve a horny fruit fly for 15 hours, they will choose food over possible mates. They also discovered that the second that you give a fruit fly some food and it has nourishment, within seconds, literal seconds, it can change tack and be like, okay, I got some food in my belly. Now I'm ready to go bang. But now we know the cusp. The cusp is around 15 hours before fruit flies will choose food over pussy because science. I've gone more than 15 hours without food or pussy. You're not a fruit fly. You live longer than 50 days, my friend. And that would be like a few years out of my life. I've never gone for more than a few years. Well, I mean, I have gone for more than a few years without pussy. But not food. But not food. I wouldn't be here talking to you. Exactly. So Where my mind went when you were talking about that, it was like, for some reason, that that old book, When You Give a Mouse a Cookie, it just popped into my... But I, maybe I should write a children's book. When you give a horny fruit fly some food, the next thing right. you know, he's going to want to bang. And then he's going to want a velvet smoking jacket. Yeah, it just, it he's going to want a there. nice cigar. He's going to want some good slippers, a nice cognac. It just mm-hmm. builds. Yeah, some yeah. berry white. Or sh- yeah. So now we, now we know how long a fruit fly can go without food without thinking about banging? Right. Now we know we've thoroughly filled and packed that gap with knowledge. And you've just come up with an idea for a new bestseller. Oh, excellent. Right, right. I'm this full of a, I'm full of I'm full of lots of things. <laughs> including little animals. Including all sorts of weird little animals. They should go afterwards. After you know what? After we're done recording this, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna play some Russian roulette with my dick. Because you never know. Are you gonna write out some? Are you gonna write out some secret messages and then hope you don't end up in the hospital? Well, it, well, I will write out the secret messages if I don't die or wind up in the hospital. Okay. Sure, I don't sure. know who I'm gonna send them to. In the mail. Put them on a postcard. Yeah. Send us your address. No. <laughs> we'll draw a name out of a hat. No. The lucky recipient oh, might lucky. get a secret lucky. message in the mail. 
if I don't Lucky. die first. It's been a great week. Right. We hope you had fun. <laughs> oh, indeed. We are so glad you joined us. Let's do this again next week, shall we? It's, it's a date. All right. Jaunty salute. It's right here. It's ready. It's, it's full. It's firm. It's engorged. It's firing off in your general direction. Ready to explode. Yeah. There you go. Talk at you next week.